when, when we put up these lights uh, behind me that we were ready for the 4th of July. <laughs> Are we not? I mean, come on. It's like perfectly themed. We've got all three right here on stage around us. So that is incredible. Uh, I'm going to deviate from my original starting point today because during that uh, uh, first song, uh, God asked me to do something else. So I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to um, just kind of bow your heads and close your eyes as I kind of describe something to you. And I want your mind to go wherever God takes it. Don't listen to me. Listen to him. As we today are sitting here with our eyes closed and we are celebrating this freedom, there are those among us, whether sitting here in this room or joining us online, who are not truly free. There's something that has bound them. They are slaves to something in this world, in their life. Father, only you know what those things are, but as we sit here with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, who is it? Is it me? Is it me that's bound in this moment of my life? Maybe it's to alcohol. Maybe it's to a specific drug. Maybe it's to pornography. Maybe it's to a relationship that we should not be a part of. Father, maybe it's to greed, just to money overall. Maybe it's to our jobs. We've become enslaved to our professions. We've not been allowed to experience the true freedom that is offered in Christ and in his name. And Father, maybe sitting here today, we, 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 we are free We are free indeed, and we have experienced that freedom. And if that's you listening today, then praise God for that. But here's the thing. Who does your heart break for? You might be here today just fine. You came in here just fine, and you'll leave here just fine. But if your heart today doesn't break for someone else, maybe someone you know, It may be someone on the other side of the globe that cannot, will not, maybe ever experience the the freedom of living that we have in our country, but they're absolutely someone that could experience real freedom in Jesus Christ. If your heart does not break for someone, maybe it's an entire people group, maybe it's people within our own population here in the United States that your heart grieves for, who does God bring to mind? Who is that people? Don't leave here and forget about those people. If it's your freedom that's been sacrificed right now in your life, then today is a day of redemption and freedom for you. You must only come and repent as we'll talk about next week. But Father, if our hearts break and grieve for those around the world, those that we don't know may never meet this side of eternity, Father, let's not leave this place as we were. Let's leave this place in our freedom, grieving and mourning for those that don't have it and praying specifically that they find freedom in you and searching for ways to help them discover that freedom. Amen. I don't know where your mind wanders. I feel like sometimes as a believer myself in these United States of America, we have it way too easy, way too easy. And our hearts don't break and we don't grieve for those that don't have the same experience we do. 
And it needs to. Because when we're broken, then we seek to figure out how to help. How is God leading you to participate in his kingdom building across this world and in this very community in which we live? Don't miss that. The teaching today from, from Jesus comes from Luke chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles or your, your apps or whatever it is you use, Luke chapter 14 is where we will be here in just a few moments. His teaching takes place in front of a, a large group, much like this. It's impossible to know who on earth was a part of that crowd. A few weeks ago when Ken was speaking, Jesus was speaking to a small group. He was sitting down with Pharisees at dinner discussing things with them. Before that scene, he was with another huge group of people. These groups were as diverse as anything we could possibly imagine for that region of the world during that time. Every income level, every education level, every type of sin, and oh yes, there were religious people there too. Now, me personally, as I prepared for this week a few weeks ago, because that's kind of how I work, I was very convicted and some of you have experienced this. You've gone and you've, you've read a passage or maybe you've heard a sermon or something like that or heard a song even, and you felt like it was talking directly to you. Ever that happen? Okay, you should. You should because Jesus is talking to you. Here's the thing. If you will let Jesus today, if you will let this sink in, then he might just be talking specifically to you today as well, just like he was me as I was writing these words. As we begin today, we're gonna talk about costs that's an appropriate thing, right, in our culture? Yes, I'm not going to worry with you at all about what's happening in the culture around us or the cost of things around us. Instead, I want to encourage you with this reality. Everything has gone up in price except one thing, salvation. Still a free gift, always will be, paid for by Jesus. Keep that in mind. As you talk about cost of things, as we all whine and complain and moan, right? Don't lie. We all are, okay? As we do that with our friends and neighbors, what a segue into a free gift that's available to them, right? What a talking point. Everyone's talking about it. Here's your opportunity. Salvation, a free gift available to anyone and everyone who turns to Jesus. It is absolutely free, but it'll cost you. What? Yeah, it'll cost you your own life. We receive it freely. However, there was a tremendous price that was paid by Jesus. Your salvation and my salvation cost him everything. And once we receive that free gift for each of us, everything changes. What if I said this? Not everyone that, be, that comes to Jesus, not everyone that comes to Jesus becomes a disciple. Would you agree with that statement? Or would you argue with me? Is that statement true? I believe that it is. Just like the large crowds that gathered in Jesus' day, very, very few of them ever actually became his disciples, devoted followers who not only accepted and embraced his teachings but then in their lives, but then they actually took their lives and they lived out his teachings and they took his teachings and they shared his teachings with others. That is a disciple, <laughs> To truly follow Jesus, we must consider the cost and put him above everything else. 
As I was preparing this week, I came across an illustration that I kind of thought brought this idea to mind. Now, keep in mind, this is not me. This is an illustration I read, and I'm going to share it with you. But I'll put myself in the first person just to make it make a little more sense. Suppose I had the desire, and you're going to have to really suppose. You're going to really dream. Suppose I had the desire to climb Mount Everest. I, I don't. That sounds like torture to me. Remember, it's just an illustration, all right? So keep that in mind. But if I, if I did, if I did, I would first, the first thing I would learn is I would Google it and I would find out how much it costs to climb Mount Everest. And it's gonna cost somewhere between fifty-four dollars and $70,000 to climb Mount Everest. Now, in my case, I would need additional help. And so it's probably gonna cost upwards of $120,000 in order for me to achieve this goal. There's absolutely no way ever in this lifetime I could ever afford to do such a thing, even if I wanted to. But let's just pretend that some wealthy benefactor of the church said, Chris, that is an awesome goal. I would love to help you achieve that goal. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I will pay for your endeavor. I will pay for all of the gear, all of the clothing, all of the transportations, your guide. Yes, I'll get my very own Sherpa. Imagine that, right? All the training that it'll take to prepare you to go do that. Now, if someone threw that offer in your lap, some of you would be like, I'm in. Yeah, let's go. I don't have to pay. Let's go. But hold that thought just a moment. While it's free, (laughs) there's a tremendous cost to accepting that gift, is there not? You are going to have to go through months and months and months of very difficult training to prepare your body physically for the stress that you will be under in order to even attempt such an endeavor. And in truth, if I accept this free gift, then it actually could cost me my very own life, could it not? Because many, many climbers die trying to scale Mount Everest, right? You see, Jesus offers the water of life to everyone who thirsts, but we need to understand that when we receive that free offer, we are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price. To truly follow Christ, we must consider the cost and not begin to follow him just superficially, only to turn back later when things get tough. That is what Jesus warns us against in our text today. The very first verse of this text today tells us why Jesus goes on to say what he says. Verse 25 of chapter 14, he says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, why is this important? Well, it sounds amazing, right? Jesus has this huge group of people. Every ministry desires more and more and more followers of Jesus to be a part of their ministry, You see, in the world we live in, the more people in your church, then the more the world and even many Christians see that church as a success. In fact, the larger the church they believe, the greater the success. Jesus, however, didn't always share that sentiment. He knew that many of the people that were part of these large crowds were only following him to be there, to to be a part of the crowd, or maybe for some other selfish or superficial reason. So he sees this massive crowd, he turns to them, and he shares with them the demands required of discipleship. Please note that many churches do not share these beliefs with Jesus. That sound weird to you? Because when I wrote it, it sounded really weird. Like, the churches don't share Jesus' beliefs. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. A church 
Not fully agreeing with what Jesus taught, unfortunately, is becoming more and more common. It's unfortunately true. See, some churches, some people teach and believe that while everyone who comes to Jesus for salvation should pursue discipleship, that's like the ideal, it's not connected to a saving faith. In other words, they believe it's possible to receive Jesus as Savior, but not follow him as Lord. There's a small problem with that. It's not in God's word anywhere at all. It would actually be a false teaching and a false belief that many who claim to be Christians that have been deceived into following, thinking, I've obtained salvation from Jesus. That's all. There's nothing more for it. Because after all, it's way easier, way easier to accept salvation and not be willing to pay the cost of being a disciple. So the teaching that follows here by Jesus directly contradicts that teaching and that lifestyle. You see, when we accept Jesus, he desires to transform us or renew us and our minds to make us more like him. He offers a new life and a new way of life that results in each of us becoming more and more and more like him. In fact, we must grow as disciples. It's not an option. There's going to be periods of rapid growth, absolutely. There's going to be periods where we completely are delayed or stalled out or even stopped at times. And we'll never be completed until Jesus returns or he takes us home, whichever comes first. If we do not become actual disciples of Jesus, then aren't we the very people he's talking about in Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Paul talks about the same people, Titus chapter 1, verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Yikes. So what is it Jesus is asking of us? Luke 14, Jesus defines two costs of discipleship, and he shares two very short parables that illustrate the same message. They seem harsh at first, so you have to hear it all, and you have to understand who Jesus is in context to make sense of this. That's why we study the full counsel of the Word of God and all of Jesus' life and his teachings and his words and his miracles so that we can understand what he's saying Verse 26, he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. What did he just say? Hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children? Doesn't Jesus tell us to love who? Everyone, especially our wives and our children. I thought husbands were supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I thought that he said it was a sin to hate and that to hate someone was the equivalent of murdering them in your heart. Actually, aren't we to love others as we love ourselves? So how can we possibly hate ourselves? These are great questions. What is Jesus saying? Is he contradicting every single one of his other teachings, or is he asking something else here? Jesus is merely sharing with us the cost of becoming a disciple. You must put your love for him above your love for everything else. So what's he do? Well, he begins his 
lecture with a a little bit of shock value. His hearers would have heard that word hate and the words that followed, and they all would have dramatically sat there while Jesus just paused and let them stew in that thought while they wondered what would come next. Now, in our culture, what would we do? Well, here's what we would do. We would take those first few words of Jesus, we would run to Twitter, we would run to Facebook, we would post them completely out of context and begin spreading a false narrative about Jesus. That's what we would do. Thankfully, they didn't have those vices back then. They were all kind of trapped, captive audience, sitting there listening. I'm sure there were some that stopped listening at that moment and didn't continue, but most others listened. Our allegiance, our love for him must be so great that when we compare that love with the love we have for those that we love on this world, uh, there seems to be a big difference, a really big difference. Here's the awesome part. Typically, normally in life, there is not a huge conflict between loving Jesus and loving even our closest family members. But it is likely that all of you who are believers have felt this pressure, this tension at some time in your life or another. A family member asking you to do something that is pulling you away from Jesus and you know what he wants you to do. Something that keeps us from when we know, when we know what Jesus wants us to do. Someone pulling us a different direction. As a disciple of Jesus, we are to choose Jesus first. And here's the thing. If we succumb to the pressure, the pressure that we're under from others to pull us away from Jesus, you might think, well, I'm I'm just showing them that I love them. No. No, as a matter of fact, you're truly not. We're not showing our love for Jesus instead. We show our love for those family members instead of Jesus We're actually calling Jesus, and we're calling our love for him into question. We're saying that he is not worthy of being followed above everything else. And by doing so, we actually could keep family members from ever believing the claims of Jesus. If we show our devotion to him first, that example for them will reveal how important he truly is to us. Again, I know it sounds harsh. But the reality is this, when we put a sinful human being ahead of Jesus Christ, when we put a sinful human being who has not given their lives for our sins in a higher place than the perfect spotless lamb of God who freely offered himself for our sacrifices and for, our, or for as a sacrifice for our sins, then we're proving that we don't truly love Jesus You see, there's a cost to discipleship. And as a disciple of Christ, we are to be submissive to his will for our lives. In other words, when the decision comes down to either obeying your parents or your boss or your spouse or obeying Jesus, our task is to obey Jesus first. Now, here's the thing. We're called to be the most loving, caring spouse possible. We are called to be the most obedient children possible. We are called to be the best employee that any employer could ever have possible. But, but we must explain to anyone who tries to prevent us from obeying Jesus that, um, no, no, that is the most important thing that we can do. And that is the most important relationship that we have on this earth. In verse 27, Jesus goes on to ask us about carrying a cross, telling us we need to carry our cross. Now, keep in mind when he said these words, 
he had not carried his cross yet. So all they had was the visual of Roman crucifixion and that happening to other people. They did not understand that Jesus would one day carry his own cross. For us in our context, that verse has kind of been watered down and removed from what Jesus actually intended. It's possible you might have even used this in your life in this way. Have you ever said something to the effect of, well, that's just my cross to bear? Likely, uh, you were talking about a task that was difficult, or you were talking about a person <clears throat> that might have been a bit <clears throat> annoying or difficult type person, right? They're irritating, it's an inconvenience, it's your cross to bear. That is not in any way what Jesus was referring to. The cost of following him is so much greater. The cost, the cross that Jesus bore, we could not handle. Physically, maybe, but even in his day, many in his position were not able to fully bear the cross long enough to even get nailed to it. They died en route because of the torture that they had received, but that's just the physical cost. Beyond that was the weight of the burden of the sin of all humanity, which would be overwhelming for any of us, obviously, but even our own sin would be too much for you or I to bear. We can't imagine what Jesus is truly calling us to when he says that, and so he asks us a little more specifically, what is he talking about? What is he asking us to do? Well, he's asking us to daily nail our selfish desires to that very cross, to give it up to him, to daily being willing to subject ourselves to the rejection of mankind because of his name. After all, if they hated him first, why wouldn't they hate us if we're truly like him? Further, if they hate us, we are to bless them. We are to pray for them. That is a burden to bear. Because our human instinct is to react, is to attack them back or to completely ignore that it's happening. And Jesus doesn't call us to do either. He calls us to love and pray for those that persecute us. That is a cost of being a disciple. That is a cross to bear each and every day. So Jesus continues on. He continues on with two short parables. Now, we Christians love to take these two parables out of context and use them for other purposes because of the topics that they talk about. But in reality, Jesus is talking about, very simply, the cost of discipleship. He's not talking about the cost of building a building or the cost of fighting a war. He's talking about the cost of discipleship, and he's relating them to these two instances. Verse 28, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now, I'll give you an exact opposite scenario just to help you understand that Jesus isn't talking about a king going to war here. He's talking about the cost of discipleship. It's a parable. Because God's economy says, Gideon, I need you to go fight the Midianites. Go do it. And Gideon's like, all right, I've got 32,000 men. Let's go. And God says, that's too many. 
And he said, do this. And he's like, okay, let's go. And God says, um, that's too many. And so with 300 men, Gideon won a battle against 120,000 Midianite warriors. If he was following this parable, then Gideon would have sent a term of peace and said, no, 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 we're not fighting you. There's 300 of us, or there's 32,000 of us. There's 120,000. So just understand, this is a parable about the cost of discipleship, not the cost of fighting a war. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Through these two parables, Jesus tells us what we must consider to truly follow him. Here's the thing. These warnings aren't meant to keep people from coming to him. Not in any way. He is being fully transparent, which we as the church must be as well. We must tell people the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We can't leave anything out. Jesus consistently tells other people what lies ahead if they choose to follow him. Those that might decide, you know what, <clears throat> the cost to follow Jesus is just too great. There's just no way that I could do that. You see, if that's you, then you're not considering the whole picture. Because in the reality of the whole picture, everyone on this earth will face trials in life. Everyone on this earth will pay, face pain and the suffering that comes with living in a fallen world. But we have a choice. Do we want to face these things with Jesus on our side or to face them while we're in opposition to him. Yes, the cost of following Jesus is real, but he promises to be with us through all of it. He will ultimately even help us pay the cost of following him. It's incredible. What we must realize and be willing to share with others is that there is also a tremendous cost to not following Jesus. And that cost lasts for all eternity. And that's a truth that we've got to be willing to share. In verse 33, Jesus again says something that immediately would have got the attention of the crowd. This isn't the first time he said it, nor will it be the last. Does it get your attention the same way it would have theirs? Let me read it to you. Verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Ooh, that's a big word. Everything? Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Oh, they heard. They stopped listening after the everything. Give up everything? <laughs> Jesus, are you serious? Like, is that for real? Because I don't know that I could commit to that. And even if I did, how could I possibly persuade anyone else to follow you if you're asking them to give up everything because some people have a lot of stuff? It's true. When Jesus makes these statements internally, how do you react? Because he's being clear, are you willing to obey? And here's, how, here's the test. If we read those words, if you read those words along with me, and you heard Jesus wants me to give up everything and just kept right on going, then either A, you've given up everything, or B, you're not willing to give up anything. One of those two things happened just then. And if you're not willing to give up anything, there's something that was defined in there. What is Jesus asking for? It kind of sounds like some kind of crazy cult leader, right? Just give me everything, and then uh, you can follow me. That would be great. But Jesus is very, very different in many, many ways. That's a long list, but let me just start with one example. He doesn't require anyone to do anything that he didn't already do. 
himself. And when we say give up everything and he says he gave up everything, I think those everythings are very different because he gave up all of heaven as the creator to become one of his creation. He allows himself to be subjected to everything this fallen world could possibly throw at him. He submitted himself even to death, and not just any death, but death and humiliation by one of the cruelest forms of punishment ever invented by mankind on the cross. Jesus gave up everything so that he could save you and could save me. And now he asks us to do the same thing, but in a very, very different way. He knows, Jesus knows the things that mean the most to you on this earth whether it's family or money or possessions or job or whatever it is, and he tells us that our love for him must be greater than our love for even those special things. And we must be willing to give them up to him in order to be his disciples. What he asks is not cruel. It's not neglect. He's not calling us to go and sell all of our possessions so that we could follow him. However, He might call you to do that very thing because he has asked that of people in the past and he might do it again. He knows what you need. He promises to provide. He knows your greatest temptation. He knows the thing that is keeping you from being fully devoted and committed to him. And just so you know, whatever that thing is, that's your everything from verse 33. Whatever that hang-up is, whatever that thing is, well, I'll be fully devoted to him when I can stop doing this or when I'm done with that or when this or this. That is your everything. That is your obstacle to building the tower. That is the thing that will ensure defeat against that other kingdom. I read it this way in a conversation this week, and so I will share this conversation with you. Elsewhere in Luke, God, uh, Luke tells us that we cannot, Jesus tells us, sorry, that we cannot serve both God and money. We'll get to that here in just a few weeks. Paul tells us that if you're a Christian, that you've been bought with a price and that you are not your own. That's something that we as Christians sometimes forget in our culture here. We then have our own thoughts and our own ideas, and we love to spout them off on places like Facebook. Are those thoughts his thoughts? Because if they're not, we're forgetting that we were bought for a price and we are no longer our own. As a disciple of Jesus, nothing we own, quote unquote, is ours, It's all his. Matthew records in his gospel a very, very short parable that leads us perfectly into this conversation. The parable is this, Matthew 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and he bought it. This was the way another pastor had recorded this as a a conversation between the merchant, the, the finder of the pearls, if you will, the one trying to buy them, and the seller, all right? The, the, the man sees this great pearl, and he goes up to the merchant and says, hey, I want this pearl. How much is it? The seller tells him, hey, this is, this is very, very expensive. Well, well, how much is it? <laughs> it's a lot. Well, do you think that I could afford it, could buy it? The man asks. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes, the merchant says, you, anyone can buy this. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. If anyone can buy it, I thought you said that it was very, very expensive. Well, I did. I did. Well, how much then? Well, okay, let me tell you, it's it's everything, everything that you have. The buyer says, well, you know what? I've got $10,000 right here. 
Great, 10,000 bucks, that's, that's great, that's all that I have. Nothing more, you don't have anything else? Well, let me see. I have a few dollars in my pocket, let me look and see what, how much you have in your pocket. Well, $100, great, that's mine too. I'll take that, says the seller. What else do you have? Well, nothing. Where do you live? Well, I live in my house. Yeah, I, I own a house. Great, that's mine too. Perfect. Where do you expect me to sleep at? My camper? You've got a camper? Awesome. I'll take that. Okay, am I supposed to sleep in my car? Oh, you have a car. No, I actually have two. Great. I'll take both of those as well. That is awesome. This is, this is turning out really well here. So you, you, you've taken my money. You've taken my house. You've taken my camper. You've taken my cars. Where is my family supposed to live? You have a family? Well, yeah, I have a wife with three kids. Great. They're mine now, too. Oh, I almost forgot one more thing. You. That's right. Yeah, I, I own you, too. Happy to give you the pearl. But this is what I charge. But I, I forgot to tell you one other little thing. Now, listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Um, I'm going to allow you to continue to use those things for a time being. Just don't forget... <laughs> that they're all mine just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must be willing to give them up because I am now the owner. See, that is what Jesus means when he says that we are to give up all of our possessions in order to be his disciple. Our Lord, our God, our Jesus is not Lord of a tenth, a tithe. No, he's Lord of all we're just managers of it for him on this earth. And of course, in return, what do we receive? Well, all the riches of heaven for all eternity. Not a bad change, exchange, if you will. But still, we got to sit down and we got to determine if we're willing to follow Jesus as Lord of everything, from our families to our possessions to our very own lives. The reality is many of us would agree we've accepted the salvation Jesus offers a long, long, long time ago. We received the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness that Jesus freely gives us. But have we turned all that we are over to him? Is he the one managing our lives and our relationships and our finances and our thoughts? Is his word guiding us? Or are we still the ones in charge making the decisions? If we've made a commitment to follow Jesus, but then we go back on that commitment, then it is quite possible that those who do not believe will see that and mock us as if we're ones who could not complete the tower or ones who went into battle against the evil one and were defeated. Why? Well, because we didn't allow God to go and fight on our behalf. We tried to handle it on our own. <laughs> Jesus' words... Yeah, they're tough. I told you last week we were diving back into Luke and Jesus was ready. He was ready for us. We're all gonna fall short of these standards. Yes, yes, we will. But are we honestly working to apply them in our lives at all? Is there any relationship or any activity that comes before God in your life? If he is Lord of your plans, your thoughts, are you seeking your way or his is he Lord of your finances and your possessions? Do you faithfully manage them for his purposes or for your own? 
Do you give generously as an act of worship or do you give only out of duty and obligation? Salvation? Absolutely free. But once we receive it, it costs us everything. To truly follow Christ, we must consider the cost of putting him above everything else. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you've not accepted Jesus yet, this gift of salvation, this doesn't seem like a terribly evangelical message, but in truth, it really is. Because you see, there's a freedom in giving it all to him. It's not your responsibility anymore. It's his to take care of you, and you trust in him for doing that. The incredible gift of salvation is there. These words of Jesus are not meant to turn you away at all, but simply to open your eyes to the reality of what lies ahead. And in the end, we've all got to count the cost and decide if having Jesus with us every step of our entire lives and into eternity is better than facing the next step in your life without him. And I can assure you, as can many within this room, we wouldn't have it any other way. Couldn't imagine taking another step in life without Jesus by my side. I just can't imagine, and we want to invite you into that freedom that we all experience in Christ. Father God, as we read your word, if we just kind of blow it off and aren't challenged by the words of Jesus, then I'm not sure that we understand the meaning. It's easy to hear the words and hear you asking us for everything, to hear you telling us the cost that it takes to follow you and for us to say, yeah, well, you know, maybe when I get older or maybe at a different phase of life or you know what, my budget's too tight right now or I've got to spend this much time or I've got to travel and do this and I've got to miss study and I've got to miss church and I've got to miss the opportunity to listen to your voice and I just don't have time. And those are all excuses and they're great excuses and we all use them. And it tells us that we haven't counted the cost. And that the fact that we know that those things exist in our life tells us that the Spirit is working on us. It's reminding us of what the barriers are between you and me. And I know as I read this passage, as I was studying through this passage, I was just as convicted as anyone else could be. We all put obstacles in between yourself and us. We all have others that we quote unquote love more than you. And Father, truth be told, we can't love others until we love you. We don't understand what love is except through you. The world's definition of love is so tainted and so messed up that we must go back to your word. We must truly learn what love is. And when we truly learn to love you, it becomes a joy to love others. And truthfully, we can love anyone when we come to that understanding. So Father, if there's people here today, maybe longtime believers that realized today that they hadn't fully counted the cost. Or maybe things have just changed over life and they've kind of lost track of you and settled into whatever phase of life they're in, then may your word and your spirit convict them today to repent, to ask for forgiveness and to change their mind back toward you. Father, there's people here today that have never accepted that free gift of salvation. The salvation which truly does set us free from a world of sin 
the bondage of sin. The wages of sin are death, a death sentence that we are all subjected to, Father, apart from you. That may today be the day that they realize that that is a need in their life. And that, Father, they're willing to pay the cost. They want to offer their full life up to you and over to you for you to manage, for you to maintain, for you to take care of so that they now have clear guidance in their life. They know which direction to go. They know who to turn away from. They know how to love others better than they even could today. Father, there are people here that have never made that decision. I welcome them to the front of the room to accept you for the first time. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.